welcome to the panel on RNZ National. We have Professor Alan Blackman and Victoria McLennan, and we will keep a weather watch for you across the country as well as traffic if, if anything else uh, comes to hand. Um, but uh, to this first, well, what to say? It wasn't our time, was it? South Africa 12, All Blacks 11. We gathered with friends. We went to the local club rooms or switched on the screen at home, all in anticipation of the All Blacks lifting the Webb Ellis Cup at the Rugby World Cup final. Against the odds, the ABs made the final, and most of us thought, well, they made it this far, they'll bring it home. But the box won, and no one can deny their well, incredible effort and the impenetrable defensive wall. The aftermatch speech by Springboks captain Sia Khaleesi on what it meant to people uh, and him growing up in South Africa was so very heartfelt. But questions will remain in top-level rugby. With us is veteran broadcaster John Macbeth. John's recently released a book of his 50 years of broadcasting on all sports. It's called It's Over. A broadcaster's story. He was on Afternoons with uh, their Sporting History a couple of months ago. John, great to have you here. Thank you very much, Wallace. And I kept thinking of that title, It's Over, when Geordie Barrett took that last shot at goal. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, no. Oh, Oh, John, dear John, stop it. So many thoughts on this game. So as a person who has witnessed the heights and reported on so many finals, how does this one compare? Well, this was the first uh, World Cup final I haven't been at uh, physically. I sat in, like you and like so many, I sat in my lounge by myself if possible <laughs> and watched this. Mm. Um, each one has had its own share of drama. And, and the last time the All Blacks played South Africa in Johannesburg, um, similar sort of sentiments, as you mentioned, from Khaleesi came out from that with Mandela there. And, uh, you know, that was enormously uh, emotional for everyone. Uh, but each one has brought its own share of, of drama and and intrigue and um, criticism afterwards, but, but none right. so much as this, I don't think, Wallace. Yeah, I mean, there's so much to say about this. The panellists would have their views. I, I guess if there's one moment that I'll always record, because I was down at the suburbs club rooms there, and I was, I was there with all the little kids around me, and that try, that, that extraordinary try, Aaron Smith, and the whole room breaks out in just joy, absolute joy, uh, but ruled out because of a knock-on by Xavier in the build-up. What of that moment for you, John? I was exactly the same. I was out of my chair and I thought, this is it. But in the back of my mind, uh, my eagle eyes thought that I had seen a knock-on at the line-out and I was waiting for the referee's whistle to sound. And the fact that it didn't, and the play moved right across there for, you know, a good... 40 seconds or whatever it was, and the try was scored, um, surprised me immensely. So when they went back to that, I thought, that's justice. I mean, South Africa would have been, you know, hard done by, and we would have complained bitterly if it had been the other way around. So that was the value of the TMO. However, the TMO, and let's face it, it was introduced, a TMO was introduced because of constant complaints about the uh, inability of referees and touch judges to spot every 
uh, flaw or every mistake that was made in the game. So let's get a third person in or a fourth person, as it turns out, a TMO. That's now become TMOs, plural. <laughs> um, and so we've got an entire team uh, working on this, and still they haven't got it right. Um, it's here to stay, obviously, but but that was that was a you know such a an important moment. But so too, Wallace, as everyone thinks of you know Sam Kane being red carded, yeah. Frizzell being yellow carded for gosh, people have been falling on each other in rugby for a hundred years, and 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 you know he got yellow carded for that. So so lots of I think the areas which will be studied by the lawmakers and the referees, uh, international referees. And they will go back and say, could we have done better? They will say yes, but then what do they do about it? I think that's that's the question. Yeah. Of course, it eases the pain for All Black fans to be able to blame others for the loss. The All Blacks fair have point. plenty of chances to win this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, fair <clears throat> point, John. Victoria. Um, well, I don't watch much rugby, and I have been watching this Rugby World Cup with interest, and I found the whole TMO thing fascinating. And I guess my rationalisation for it was in tennis we have the Hawkeye, right, so that when the Lions people make the wrong call. Mm. But, John, I just wonder, you know, listening to the commentators and everything that everyone else has been saying, does it need a real revisit, the use of the TMO and, and how it was stopping play so often? Oh, I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, if you look at the amount of stoppage time in a game now, it's becoming, it's not a, the spectacle that we want. You know, other reasons why it's not a spectacle. One try in a match, sometimes no tries in a match. Mm. You know, the, it, it, it just is not the spectacle it was, and there are many reasons for that, big defences and all that sort of thing. But that they need to revisit the use of the TMO. The situation, uh, you might recall, when there was a penalty awarded against Adi Savir at a tackle, the penalty shot was lined up and taken, and the referee went over to Savir and said, oh, look, I'm sorry, no, we got that wrong. Speed of decision by the TMOs is essential now. If there is a penalty given, the TMOs should be reviewing it instantly and going to the referee and saying, hang on, um, we've got something on this, uh, you might not be right. Um, but that, I mean, we could have games lasting, you know, three hours if, if we carry on this, and we don't want that. You know, we want a spectacle. We want, in fact, we want fast-running rugby where the wingers are scoring tries and everyone's roaring with excitement. Um, and and I was intrigued. I, I'm going on here as I can do. I can talk a lot. <laughs> Wayne Smith was interviewed um, on, on the Saturday or Sunday morning program, uh, in which he said, "I would love to see the tackle lowered even further." Years ago, people tackled around the knees, around the legs, around the waist, yeah. leaving the arms free for the ball to be offloaded, and tries were scored. You know, it was much better, and I'd love to see something like ah, that return. Right, Alan. <clears throat> yeah, um, just a little story. My uh, other half is over in Italy at the moment, and she decided to um, go to the game, uh, went to a website, got a ticket, turned up at the Stade de France, got all the way up to the front of the thing, scanned the ticket, counterfeit. You're kidding. So, yeah, oh, yeah, I know. So she was a bit gutted about that, unfortunately. But um, <clears throat> I think this... This whole thing about the TMO, I mean, if you look at any ruck, um, mall, whatever, in rugby, if you look at it in slow-mo, you're going to find something wrong every time. I mean, you know, every tackle looks horrendous in slow-mo. And, um, you know, if this is what's going to happen to the game, that every every 
point of contact or whatever is going to be slowed down and everybody in the stadium is going to see you know these crunching bloody great things then the game's ruined it's absolutely oh, ruined and, and and it's never going to be the same um and i guess the one other thing i'd say is you know sheesh you got to feel for poor old sam kane i mean i'm not his yeah. biggest fan um but what the hell do i know i've never played the bloody game in my life so you know i i don't know but this poor guy is going to have to live with this for the rest of his life, as he said. And look, you know, when he gets back, for goodness sake, everyone just lay off him. And I thought mm. it was really nice in the telecast when he was sitting there disconsolate and had a camera right in his bloody face. And then somebody came along and just sort of inter- interspersed themselves between him and the camera. And I thought that was yeah. that was oh, good. John? Yes. I thought that was brilliant. And, and I'll go back to, to the, what I said earlier about it, it's given us someone else to blame. So maybe Sam Kane won't be vilified and gnarly and foster mm. and, mm. and so on because people are looking at other other excuses. Um, it, it's also, and you're saying about your other half being being in Italy, well, people with, with kids, youngsters, are, is this the sort of game they want them to play? I know mm. a lot of children are still playing it, but... That is such a powerful impact of game mm. that, you know, I, I just, you know, I'd say no thanks very much. I'll go and watch it, but I don't want to play it. No, God. Yeah. That's interesting. So it speaks to my final question. That, that that speaks to, I guess, the future of the game. It was an extraordinary spectacle. You, and you mentioned in this book, you go right back. You were there in the 87 uh, World Cup. You can, you can read about it. But in terms of moving it forward for the next five years, what do you see with rugby? Well, it depends what happens with... Uh, I mean, nothing much will happen quickly, very quickly in, in, at the international scene. Um, but the, the And a lot of the decisions are made because there's an imbalance of power. Northern Hemisphere um, te- unions have a, a, a voting power over the Southern Hemisphere teams. That's always been the case. Um, but they may well just say, oh, here's the... You know, New Zealanders moaning again. Of, you know, something's always wrong with from New Zealand's point of view. But I think from international people that I've been talking to, friends who were watching this around the country from other nations, they were saying something's got to change. This is not fun to watch anymore. Um, I, I, you know, as a purist, it was gripping and it was intense mm. and it, it had me sweating and clenching yeah. my teeth. And, <clears throat> um, but you wouldn't bring in someone who didn't know anything about rugby and say, hey, watch this. Isn't this exciting? They'd say, <laughs> no, no, thanks. But if if we want to do something for the game, um, I mean, you know, the, the All Blacks go for the Northern Hemisphere at the end of every year. Go and play Portugal. Put a B team out there or whatever. Go and play yeah. Portugal. They've got to go to Argentina for the, um, you know, for the championship. So go and play okay. Uruguay. John, you know. John yeah, we have to leave well. it there. But it's a pleasure to have you on the panel. Thank you. Thank you again. I uh, appreciate it. That's uh, John Macbeth there. Uh, his book, uh, It's Over. A broadcaster's story uh, about his 50 years of broadcasting and what a uh, history uh, John Macbeth has there. 19 pass for the panel, Victoria McLennan, Adam Blackman. Now, completely different topic here. Ever taken a dental holiday? How did it go? Well, be careful of those dental quick fixes. That's the message from a New Zealand couple who travels to a clinic in Mumbai, India, highlighted in the New Zealand Herald. At first, delighted with the result. Million-dollar smiles after years of terrible and painful dental issues. Six months later, problems with chipped teeth and being unable to eat properly. 
But it can be tempting about hearing stories from others about capped teeth in Thailand or a crown in India, say, for a quarter of the cost. With us is Chief Executive of the New Zealand Dental Association, Dr Mo Amzo. Dr Amzo, welcome. Thank you for having me. I found this piece quite interesting, actually. I mean, anecdotally, do we know whether or not the dental holiday, as it's called, is on the increase? Anecdotally, it was prior to COVID. So prior to the pandemic, we were seeing more and more people attempting to go overseas to receive dental treatment. And of course, that all came to a halt. Nobody was able to travel. And so over the last few years, the only thing we had been seeing across the country anecdotally in clinics is treating complications that have arisen from care overseas. Uh, And now, as the borders are open and people have resumed travel, we're now seeing this problem come back again, as the story alludes to. What are the issues with this? I mean, if you find a well-operating, sharp, hygienic dental clinic, rave reviews that offers excellent value that you can't get here, what's the issue? Well, at the heart of it is affordability. People, and and we recognize this and have been advocating for a solution, people can't afford... um, a certain uh, slice of our community can't afford care here. Um, and the decision to receive care overseas should be um, sort of very carefully. Uh, ultimately, what you're receiving is health care. And what many people um, unfortunately can't quite uh, see is health care isn't um, necessarily identical everywhere in the, in the world. Uh, we have quite strict guidelines, high levels of compliance and regulation in New Zealand for a reason, because we do offer such high-quality care, and that unfortunately is not the case everywhere in the world. So um, our message is buyer beware. Um, it's important to do your research well, if you must, but as we've seen in this uh, unfortunate case in the Herald today, um, due diligence and research beforehand doesn't necessarily equate the quality care, which is what we are um, often warning our patients about. Victoria, going over there to get million-dollar smiles, happy at first, then a few months later, uh-oh, um, ever had a, the temptation to get a crown overseas? No, I haven't, but I can totally understand why people mm. might do that when it's cheaper to fly, buy, buy accommodation, and then get the um, the dental work done there. So, um, Dr. M, so my question is really simple. The inequities in Aotearoa now of people not being able to afford dental care, what can we do to bring the costs down? Excellent question. A big part of our advocacy over the last few years has been to tailor the funding for dental care towards those who need it the most. So we we, propo- we actually put forward a, um, a policy document um, in 2019 to government uh, that highlighted the need to tailor the funding towards high-needs populations. And as a result of that policy, the government increased the funding for beneficiaries uh, from $300 to $1,000 a year for dental care. That's, that's an excellent example of putting the funding towards um, subsidizing and funding dental care for those who need it the most. So that's people who are undergoing financial hardship, people who are out of employment, uh, people who are studying, uh, people who are superannuants who are, are struggling. I've just seen patients this afternoon, actually, who are superannuant yeah. couple, and, and they are struggling. Um, so targeted funding is the answer. 
Alan ever <coughs> talk to a mate and he goes, guess what, Alan? I've just been to Thailand and look at my smile. You should do it. It's only a quarter of the cost. Yeah, no. No, not for me, I don't think. But um, reading the story in the Herald, um, <clears throat> I guess it's a husband and wife uh, couple, and one of them said that they had sort of long-lasting pain from New Zealand dental treatment, and the other one said that their teeth were botched by New Zealand dental treatment. So <clears throat> my question is... Um, if this is the case, would they then be covered under ACC, for example, um, and be able to get everything fixed up through ACC if the problem has been caused by negligence from their dental practitioner? Um, I'll have to have a look at the clinical case in particular, but if it was incompetent care, then the answer is no. If it was accidental um, oh, wow. trauma during um during treatment, so if if I'm treating someone and I have an accident uh, while treating them, yeah. um, <clears throat> then that may qualify for ACC. Ultimately, ACC have the final call, so they need all the information. So, so what make a call. what recourse does one have for incompetence then? Go back to the dentist and tell them that there's lots of mechanisms in place in New Zealand to resolve um, issues with with care if it was care that was substandard. Uh, First and foremost, you go back to the dentist. Hey, look, this filling you did for me fell out. Oh, sorry. Let me just redo that for you. Do you you want Uh, to go back to an incompetent dentist, though? (laughs) Well, look, no, no, no. I mean, I I don't think I'm particularly incompetent. I'll use myself as an incompetent. No, no, no. Gosh, not saying that. Sometimes things happen. I'll, sometimes things happen, and um, things don't necessarily go into the oh, plan. Of course, yeah. yeah. Generally, people are very good about managing their complications, and that's mm. one of the things that we warn people about. If someone comes to me and says, "Doc, I've had this filling done by you that's come off. Oh, yeah. I'm so sorry. Let me redo that for you for free." Yeah, uh, yeah. Got it. And, and, and yeah, what are you going to do? Here's a couple. Um, Gav says, "Yeah, my old man went to India, but his smile fell out, so he had to go back." Uh, <laughs> Well, he said they did. He said they did the repairs for free, but he still had to cough up with the flies. But Robert says, the opposite of me, nothing but terrific dental work from a dental clinic in Bangkok. I've been going to Bangkok for years, and I absolutely love it. So it's quite a mixed picture, uh, Mo. It's hit and miss. It's really hit and mm. miss. Absolutely. Mm. So again, I've been in practice for just about fifteen years, and I've seen the best of it and the worst of it. Oh. And unfortunately, it's the worst of it that catches people out, and there right. is more worst of it than best of it. The, uh, I guess, so the issue is, I guess, Mo, is that you can go to Vietnam. I'm getting all all the feedback now. You can go to Vietnam and have fine dental work, but if something goes wrong, mm. what then? And the the gentleman who says I've been going for years, uh, he's actually probably a really good example of um, things going well. He probably goes and gets a checkup and a clean, very minimal care, and that's actually quite all right. I, I used to have a patient who used to go to China. He had business interests, and he had his dentistry done in China, and he was very happy. It's the people who go and have very extensive, irreversible and very expensive care, like implants and lots of crowns. These things, uh, you know, we did a we did a, a news story a while back on turkey teeth. People who go to Turkey and have all their teeth shaved and have mm. crowns. Gosh. This is really extensive treatment, yeah. really mm. irreversible. So once it's done, there's no going back. And so we really caution patients, especially if you've not had a consultation in person. If you rock up and people say, I'm just going to shave all your teeth down and, and, and plonk crowns on all of them, Ooh. I think you should have alarm bells going. Uh, because 
but this is someone who hasn't seen you before proposing really extensive treatment, even if it's cheap in the country of destination. Hey, Um, very good to have you on, Dr. Amzo. Uh, That's what we have time for there, but uh, it's sponsored quite a bit of feedback, so I appreciate your time. That's Mo Amzo there. He's the chief executive of the New Zealand Dental Association. Heyman says, I got dental treatment in Vietnam by a Paris trained dentist. Great. So it's a mixed picture coming through. I do want to get to this, though. Um, whether or not you give feedback when you go to a particular service, say a cafe or an eatery or, a, I don't know, a laundromat, what have you. Uh, you're at a restaurant, you order the soup of the day, comes out a bit cold. You've booked into a hotel, the bed's lumpy, and the window doesn't close properly. Do you give feedback or do you let it slide? Do you do it in person or do you do it in email? What about that date's gone, which is dry as all hell? Victoria, are you a person, uh, because the, the tendency is for Kiwis not to give feedback, are you one of those? I probably give feedback more often than not, actually. Do you? Um, different, different modes, though. So I'm, like, on Uber, I will give feedback immediately when I when I do the star thing. Um, oh, yes. when, I, when I walk through, um, you know, security at the airport, they've got those smiley face things. I always do the smiley face so thing. So do I. Um, and then I will often write reviews on Google or TripAdvisor or somewhere like that. Are you one of those? Yeah, I'm one of those. <laughs> but in a restaurant, if my meal came out and it wasn't what I ordered or what I asked for, I will call them back and say there's something wrong with this. So I will give that immediate in-the-moment feedback as well. So, yeah, I'm one of those. Why don't you just it's, – it's still great Kai. Why don't you just learn to live with it and just go, oh, well, they got the wrong – they're busy – why don't you just yeah, eat it? Sometimes they completely bring you the wrong thing or I have a gluten allergy and therefore mm. I will often ask for it to be modified and I appreciate that can be challenging but they forget to do that or they add the breadcrumbs or the croutons into my Caesar salad. What's and- wrong with that? Are you gluten free? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, come on, Wallace. No, no, no. Ah. Thanks for the tolerance there, Wallace. Intolerance. <laughs> what about you? You'd be a, you'd be a real complainer, Alan. No, 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 no. I'm a right. I'm a reticent kiwi. You know, mm. if they bring me the wrong thing, I'll eat it. Okay, <laughs> so you're the, op- you're the opposite. I'm I'm pretty much the opposite. Yeah, the the one that really gets me are these FPOS terminals. Now it just seems to be coming up. How oh, is your yeah. experience today? Cross tick, whatever. No, just let me pay. I want to get out of here. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, funnily enough, Uber. Yes, yeah. You mentioned that, Victoria. The the Uber. I'm, I'm exactly the same because these poor folk are making a living and they all get five stars from me regardless. Well, I never so. give feedback. The only feedback I give is exactly as you say, when you go to the airport, it's rare for me now. I love the smiley faces. I and think I, it's great. Yeah. It's instant, right? You yeah. just press the button. Love it. <laughs> but if my date's gone, comes out and it's dry, which I hate, uh, I will not complain. I'll suck it up. Just more butter. Just put more I'll, butter on I'll it. just eat it and then <laughs> but complain. you won't go back to that cafe, will you? No. Uh, uh, Justin and Kawakawa says we pointed out a small leak in the bathroom of our hotel they upgraded us to the penthouse Um, so yeah do you give feedback or do you not are you a feedback person or not love to hear from you meanwhile it is uh, in about a couple of minutes it's the song Whisperer uh, and what is the what are the lyrics I'm tired of the city life No, it's not Deep Purple. Text me 2101. It's time for headlines.